Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Welcome back, everybody. Hello again. You haven't heard from us in two weeks. We didn't have a podcast last week, and we actually didn't send out a newsletter. There has been a lot going on where we are, Mm -hmm. and a lot of things that have translated to the rest of the world, too. So we kind of paused last week in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. We felt really passionately about that. I got in trouble from a couple very kind readers for swearing. And I, that's, I just felt that strongly about it. But we got a lot of responses from that. They were really supportive and really loving and really kind. And I really want to say thank you to everybody who wrote back in support of that. That meant a lot to us. Absolutely. And this week, frankly, it has been hard to keep pushing forward and keep working because none of that is over. Mm-hmm. Just because we take a week to focus on it doesn't mean that it's stopped, but we do have to keep sharing stuff. And I think people still need stuff that, that we have to share this week. So hopefully we can take a break from the heaviness for a minute or 20 minutes and have some fun with type links learn some stuff. I'm really excited for Olivia, your nerd alert this week. I think that's going to oh, be yeah. really fun when we get to that at the end. And we found some cool resources and things this week. So it'll be nice to talk about type. Absolutely. All right. So off the bat, just want to say a shout out to our sponsor, Color Ninja. Mm-hmm. It's a great tool. I've been using it these past couple weeks. It's a color scheme and palette manager. So if you have trouble finding color palettes, this will help you out. It'll give you all, you know, the color theory palettes that we used to love in art school. So tetradic color palettes, complementary color palettes, give you a whole analogous color palette. It's good stuff. If you don't know what those are, it will give you cool colors. Yeah. Exactly. It's a really cool product. You can download it at the app store. And there's a link to it in the newsletter. Yeah, it's definitely good, a great tool to use. Okay. Our first article this week comes from Brandy, which is an asset manager tool. But their team over there collected a group of case studies from really big box brands that we all know, like Dropbox and Casper and MailChimp and Spotify. Mm. Um, And they are kind of giving a list of all the design studios that are behind those big brands. Um, That that includes Collins and Pentagram and Red Antler. So if you don't know who those design studios are, they're definitely behind some of the bigger branding projects that we're familiar with, at least in the US. And you can kind of see all the design thinking behind it, the process work, where things came from to where things went. I think it's always fascinating to see case studies. It was nice to see a compilation of this company researching who actually made those rebrands and giving them credit. Great stuff. Great inspiration for our folks here listening. I have to say, in looking at this article, I was surprised by the fact that most of these 
design studios had more than one well-known startup here, which I guess shouldn't mm-hmm. be surprising, right? Mm-hmm. Like you get famous for one, you get another famous client, but like, it's interesting that the same people who made the Uber logo also made Grubhub. Like I had mm-hmm. no idea. And Uber might be buying Grubhub soon from what? all my business reports because I mean, this goes into a whole nother tangent, but yeah, Uber, the only thing sustaining them really financially right now is Uber Eats and Grubhub has been having trouble, you know, staying in business because there's a lot of competitors. I'm going on a tangent, but it's oh, in- interesting. Interesting to find out Wolf Olins designed both Uber and Grubhub. And then again, same interesting stuff with Collins, who is um, my favorite branding studio in this list. Definitely mm-hmm. check them out. I think their work is spectacular. They did the branding for Twitch, MailChimp, and Spotify. Yeah, that's wild. So interesting. And I've used the Twitch and Spotify branding in a lot of my mood boards before. So I was excited to see those getting shout outs. And it's just really great to see really like the highest caliber work of branding studios all in one place. I guess it's cool too to see that even in that list of your favorite like Twitch, MailChimp, Spotify are so different. And it's Mm -hmm. nice to see that. I mean, we all know from our own work, I think most of us end up doing different things for different projects but like so do the big guys yeah yeah and it's great to see like such variety and i am just gonna give my opinion on something right now (laughs) as far as branding goes but when you see a studio doing vastly different work it's really inspiring sometimes you see paula share at pentagrams work using just like a lot of heavy bold condensed sans serif and she uses it on like several different kinds of clients and it's kind of this repeated motif that sometimes I find a cop out but I'm not saying it's any less beautiful but like it's sometimes like more predictable if you like know a certain style and then you just see it repeated over the years I think this shows a really big variety which again like just fuels my design brain yeah so so this is a cool roundup I like this article good find yeah for sure and next article on the list is the best fonts for magazine designs and famous magazine fonts. So we got a plethora of different display fonts in here and this editorial choices goes into really specific kind of magazines. So say best fonts for music magazines, best fonts for sports magazines, whether or not you are in magazine design, because I think it's actually pretty much far and few between to find a lot of magazine designers these days. They're just general good inspiration of fonts that really are really expressive and display a certain sort of energy that I think this editorial board is like matching up with music or sports, but I think can be applied to different, you know, categories. It's really extensive. So you're bound to find a typeface you like on here. And our partner Hughes found this this week. What's interesting is this is coming from the blog of Envato. They're kind of this wide network of all manner of design and motion graphics and video. They have fingers in all of these pies, but all of the typefaces that they link to in this article all end up linking to their elements app and i actually used to have an account with them i kept it for quite a few months because you pay them a monthly subscription and can access anything that they have in their system there's like stock imagery stock videos motion graphics templates clip art any kind of design elements that you can imagine I think it was 30 bucks. This is not a sponsored link, but like (laughs) it was a pretty affordable price. 
you get access to use any of them with a license mm -hmm. to use them forever. It's kind of useful for people, I think. Yeah, for sure. And that kind of product is great. I think about transitioning from working at a full-time company to going freelance, you know, when you're at a full-time agency, there's typically a library of fonts that you could use and there's a Shutterstock subscription or some sort of stock photo subscription. But I remember going freelance and being like, shoot, I have to manage all of those assets on my own. I have mm. to figure out where I'm getting photo imagery, where I'm getting typefaces from. So um, that model's super cool and I'm excited to hear about that. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Our next article, also from Hughes, this one's actually really fun and super detailed tutorial. And it's how to make a monospace pixel font. The font that they have on display is really enjoyable to look at. Lots of great colors. Um, and it's neat because it is a color font, which I think Ooh. we've mentioned a couple weeks ago as a mm. passing thing that hasn't taken off as much as variable fonts have. Mm -hmm. uh, which but, we'll be talking about that later too, but bet we will. <laughs> it's a color font, meaning that it's it's not just black and white like most fonts that you're used to. There's actually color integrated into the letter forms. And if you're curious about that technology, it explains it in this article. It means that every single glyph is actually an SVG file. So this tutorial got, has got to be like one of the most detailed tutorials I've seen in a really long time. There's a screenshot of every single step in the process. <laughs> but I think it's like also great if you're just interested in learning how to make a font using Illustrator. You can get started with this and just go and move through all the possibilities um, and use this as a starting point. So I'm all about sharing these kind of resources. I love seeing it being so accessible and you don't have to buy a new program. Most designers out there have Illustrator. Well, to be fair... This is using sort of a plugin, like an extension to Illustrator that we've briefly talked about once or twice called Font Self. Oh, got it, got um, it. I see that now. It's fairly affordable. It's nowhere near the cost of a professional type design program. And it doesn't quite have all of the things that a professional type design program would, but it is a really cool and useful plugin to go from Illustrator to a font file. And yeah. again, that is that is also not a sponsored link, but it is a cool program. And I just noticed too, they have discounts for students and teachers and universities oh, and stuff. So that's great stuff to hear. Yeah. That's awesome. Kind of fun. Just, I love that we have like so many fun products and tools that we're just announcing to the world and sharing. I mean, <laughs> that's part of the effort here at the Weekly Typographic is to make sure that everyone feels like they have access to tools that they need that aren't necessarily professional grade, but can help you flourish your creative instincts and desires. And now that I think about it, so we were just talking to a friend of ours from across the world earlier today, our, our buddy Sneha. Hi, Sneha. Shout out to Sneha. And we were chatting about the gatekeepers of the industry and how sometimes mm -hmm. it can feel really intimidating to have some goal of wanting to learn how to make your own font and look at all the high-end professionals and be like, ah, uh, shoot, I can't possibly break into this. They know mm -hmm. so much, and how will I ever learn all of this? This article, this Illustrator extension, you don't have to know everything about making a font. It's literally like, hey, I have a cool idea for some letters. Let me throw it into a font and then use it on the headline of my website because it's mine and I want to. Totally, yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's definitely a conversation that we're interested in expanding and making 
resources available is one of our missions here at the league and making sure there isn't a gatekeeper attitude. We are very much against that. And I think Micah, you know, who has been doing this for a much longer time than I have, has really been steering the open source movement and steering things away from the attitude into more of a sharing and accessible and educational atmosphere. Which, speaking of finding resources like that, that is a perfect segue into our next cool link. Oh my gosh. I actually found this on Twitter, and I have one, one foot in the design world, one foot in the web development world. This is like for developers who don't feel comfortable with design. I realized it was worth sharing because it doesn't just have to be developers. A lot of the tools they've assembled are kind of just, hey, if you're new to design, here's some cool tools that might be helpful. It's a giant repository of neat links with filters and stuff where there's stock icons and daily UI challenges and a handful of font resources, of course, and illustration, open source kits. Gradient kits like hand-drawn illustration kits. I mean, it is very extensive. I had a very good time reading (laughs) all of the tools that are collected on this page. I think any designer at several levels could be using at least a few of these. There's a tool to create a beautiful gradient. Like, take advantage of this kind of stuff. It's awesome. This is what I really want to do with the League membership, too. We have shared Mm -hmm. so many cool resources individual resources tutorials like cool tools in the newsletter and i really want to make the league membership that we have been working on that people are paying and contributing every month this is the kind of thing that i really want members to have access to have a giant repository of useful things when they're like i need a tool to help me make a gradient like i don't know much about making gradients and be able to log on to the league and be like what exists And like Micah said, there's a whole plethora of tools on this page for all sorts of different little elements of design. So great stuff. This is maybe a good part to point out that the league does have this new membership. And basically at the moment, if you are a paying league member, which is five bucks a month at the moment, you in this weekly typographic, we've got I think three awesome new fonts that we found that just launched this week that you might not have ever seen before Mm -hmm. and three or four job postings too, some freelance gigs and jobs. So if, if you're loving the weekly typographic and you want some extra goodies every week, hop in the membership. We would love to have you. Yeah, for sure. And those jobs are across the design spectrum. So product design, web design, graphic design, illustration, we got, Get covered. <laughs> okay, so next cool link. I love this one. I'll talk about why I love this one. And it is titled Eight More Tips to Quickly Improve Your UIs. Similar to your one of your favorite resources. We were just talking about this refactoring UI. Mm-hmm. It allow it has little snippets of correct and incorrect ways to be designing of really technical things like how much should your letting be for this sort of type size and does your text feel so heavy? Maybe you try a dark gray instead of a black. They're really simple things to help make your user interface feel more polished, feel more crafted and thoughtful. As someone that has just recently been asked to be working on interfaces a little more than I ever have been in my life, (laughs) and I've been designing for several years, but still there's a lot of vernacular that I don't quite 
automatically instinctually understand. Seeing this sort of article makes me feel way more confident going into a user interface design where I understand the principles of design, but I'm not as familiar with the principles of user interface design. And this kind of stuff is really easy and digestible and would definitely help on my next project where I just need a little, little push from an extra resource. Because it's visual, right? Like you can literally just look at the image and be like, oh, I see the difference between the left side and the right side. And if it's not tunneled into one sort of UI style. Last week, we talked about new morphism and flat design and material design. I think all of these tips can be configured to whatever color palette or style guide that you may have for. Yeah, they're taking the basics of design and applying them to UI. Absolutely. And also, if you're not a designer and just want to see the inner workings of how people design interfaces, just super interesting stuff as well. Word. So great stuff. Definitely check it out. Our last link may be the most fun link that we have. So glad (laughs) that we're ending on it. And that is the Glorious Glyphs game. Wait, did you find this one? I did. Yes. This is totally an Olivia find. Yeah, I mean, it was circulating a lot over the internet, but I had to make sure that I played the game. I did not score as well as I wanted to. I oh. think, I, yeah, it's pretty difficult. And I consider myself like definitely a nerdy type person, but it's 30 different multiple choice answers. And it's usually asking like, is this O from the Archer typeface? And you mm-hmm. have to figure it out. So if you know a broad spectrum of typefaces super well, I feel like you're going to succeed. I feel like I do know a broad spectrum, but maybe not as much as I thought because I only got like 67%. But um, <laughs> it's a fun challenge. And it's I just mean, a- it's like extremely specific. <laughs> the first question is, one of these letters belongs to Cyrus Highsmith's occupant gothic. And like, Personally, I have no idea what that font is. That's not one I've come across. So I already failed the first question. Oh, I I, I came across a lot of those. Also, if you get discouraged, I think every time you refresh, it gives you a different order of questions. Yeah, oh. it does. Because I actually came across this game a few weeks ago and I was super nervous being like, oh, no, I'm too scared. I'm clearly going to fail it. And then I reloaded it a few days later and I was like, oh, wait, I know what this looks like. And then I was like, oh, wait, they just reorder it the questions that's evil in a fun way i like it it's definitely really fun definitely i i mean it's cool because a bunch of these typefaces i've never heard of and it's showing me new typefaces yeah yeah exactly it's good inspiration they give you some fun characters too they give you like a sections they're like what what typeface does this section marker come from I was like, I forgot a section marker or even part of typeface, to be honest. <laughs> and if anyone needs a visual, it's like two S's stacked vertically on top of each other. Oh, that's a cool way to describe it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I guess that's the only way I know how to describe it. <laughs> it's a funky mark. It's a fun one, but definitely I don't yeah. think I've ever used one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but this is a cool game. This is fun. This yeah. Is good find. Super fun. Super enjoyable. I got more enjoyable things for you right now. Is this it? This is the nerd alert? Over here. This is now my favorite section of the podcast, I gotta tell you. Oh my God, that's so exciting. It is one of mine too. Um, Trying to make sure I get as much information and nerdy (laughs) digestible information on the topic I'm researching every week. I've hopefully did a good job of distilling it. This week is a little bit technical, but it's a super interesting topic. And that interesting topic is where do variable fonts come from? 
I had to do a lot of research for this. <laughs> so what the heck are variable fonts? You probably hear us talking about them all the time. They're relatively new in the overall typeface technology that has started with Gutenberg. So, you know, definitely it's okay if you haven't heard of them. They are defined technically as open type font variations, which it basically means it's a new spec to open type, which is the common font format that we use. Variable font technology allows one font file to contain several styles of a font, allowing for near infinite variations along a design access, which is still sounding a little bit technical, but it means that a whole font family, let's say we're talking about Helvetica, and Helvetica bold, Helvetica extended, Helvetica light compressed, all that can live within a single font file. It's very efficient sizing-wise and allows incredible flexibility with the end user who can make near infinite variations along that design axis. And that design axis is a weight, it's, I, it's a slant, it's a width. So all the terms that we're used to when we're talking about typefaces and describing them are all axes. So previously, we have these font families. And even if it was describing an ultra light and then a light and then a regular and then a bold and then black, like these styles previously had to be separate font files. There was mm -hmm. no other way to do it. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of extra code that goes into making that font work on your computer. Mm -hmm. What variable font technology has done is get rid of all of the duplicate code because there's duplicate files. Mm -hmm then one file with all of that information inside it, there's just less extra. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the code itself that goes into making the final file, A, from a user's perspective, you're using one file instead of five files. Mm -hmm. And from the code inside, there's less duplication. Mm -hmm. And that means that the file itself can be smaller which that kind of threw me for a loop when I first started learning about this. It's like, wait a minute, so you're taking five files and mushing them into one file. How is that not just a giant file? Mm -hmm. But it's because you can get rid of a lot of the stuff that's duplicated between those files and make it more efficient to be able to naturally scale between them. Totally, because the file is just actually saving the delta of information between the bold and the light. It's not saving separate outlines for every possible variation. It's saving the the data is the change that's happening, which mm. I, I also See, delta know. delta is such a programmer term. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, you're trying to say that it's saving the data that is on the extreme ends, like the super mm -hmm. light data, the super heavy data, Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't have to save all of the information between it. Mm -hmm. It just has to save those two extremes. So it's actually yeah. less information. Yeah, totally. Mm. So one last metaphor is if anyone's familiar with responsive design, it's the fact that like we design a website and it's accessible via desktop or via mobile. And you know, if we shrink the screen on desktop, the website's still going to work because it was designed that way. I remember a while ago, we used to have mobile dot. URL websites, which mm -hmm. was a separate website designed for mobile. So the way that responsive design is really efficient, as in you just have one website URL and it's accessible on all your devices, same concept for typefaces. You can expand, you can compress, it's all within one file. Okay, so let's talk about where they came from. They didn't just appear out of nowhere. In fact, the idea of a variable font is not even that new. Variable fonts were announced to the world um, at a conference 
by A Type I, and it was announced by four huge key players in technology. So that's Google, Apple, Adobe, Microsoft. They were all collaborating to make sure that this was pushed and announced to the world, which is a big deal. I mean, generally, those are competitors if we think about them. And for them to collaborate is the only actual way that this technology could be implemented universally. And I'll get to that right now. (laughs) Again, variable fonts are not quite new. In the early to mid-90s, during what was called the font wars, when everyone's trying to... I know I never even heard this described before I started getting into this history is the Apple and Adobe and Microsoft were all trying to, you know, create better and better font technology because font technology where it is today is not the same as where it was in the 90s. And understandably, it's crucial to user interface. These are all companies that are making operating systems where they need to not only have text in the operating system, but render any text that any app or website or anything like that is using. Absolutely. We think about the internet being a source of information. That information is mostly text. I mean, yes, there are images, but yeah, again, crucial. So in the early to mid-90s, the two key players here at this point were Apple and Adobe. And they began developing really similar technology parallel pathing, so they weren't communicating with each other, that were that was Axis-based technology. So like we said, the Axis-based means that a font can move from bold to light using these masters. And the master within a font is the source data that is one extreme of the font. So a master for Helvetica would be Helvetica bold and then Helvetica light. And then you interpolate, which allows you to morph the font from bold to light. And then interpolation allows for intermediary weights. So this technology was present in the early to mid 90s. And there's several reasons why it didn't work. So there's Adobe. They created multiple masters. And they actually created 27 families of fonts that use multiple master technology. So that meant that one font had a few masters and that you can interpolate between the masters, which is incredibly similar to variable fonts. There were definitely some hangups with it. One was that users had to generate each instance. So the way that we can just use a slider for variable fonts to define mm, somewhere in between light and bold, the user had to generate these nodes on the axes before they could just automatically see the font. So in variable fonts, we move a slider, we see the font change. With multiple masters in the 90s, someone had to be like, I want Minion to be weight 578 with 111. And these numbers were very technical and not user-friendly at all. Um, so these, someone, weren't, these weren't consumers like you and I who want to use a font. We're not generating an instance, right? Like this is the type designer saying, these are the weights that I want to have. It could be users. They, it was Yeah, but the problem was it wasn't largely adopted. So I think it was users that kind of had this knowledge that Adobe was making this technology because they had 27 font families designed for this technology. And they were planning on implementing this, but Adobe wasn't speaking to anyone. Adobe was doing this in their own world. And so they weren't communicating with Apple. They weren't communicating with Microsoft. It wasn't actually getting implemented on most desktop publishing softwares where people were using these fonts. It'd be you know, a really specific you really had to know these technical details to use mm-hmm. them. So not user-friendly. It was unpopular, again, because there wasn't enough support. Microsoft was not giving any support to Adobe. They didn't care. It was also a big player. And you know, people that were trying to push open type as a new font format in the late 90s were like, 
this multiple master thing isn't working out for Adobe. There's no way we're going to move it to OpenType when we really want OpenType to be universal. If Adobe wasn't able to make multiple masters universal, how are they going to make it universal with OpenType, mm. which is brand new, which is the type of font format we use today, which is why people are saying that variable fonts is the biggest technological leap for OpenType in 20 years because OpenType was established in 1996. You can read up on it. It's the modern font format that we use today and variable fonts are it's like a huge shift in that. So that was Adobe. That's kind of wild. Yeah. The last significant update to the technology behind the type that we all have used was mm -hmm. in 1996. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For the most part, I'm sure there was some variations coming throughout the years, but that was what basis of what we used today. Wild. Crazy. And so then there was Apple, who they had what was called GX technology, and they had this program called QuickDraw GX, and it was an editor to allow for 2D graphics and printing management. I'm sure it was like a super, 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 super simple illustrator. It sounded like it was vector-based, but the big deal was that it had this true type GX technology, which also allowed fonts to be manipulated using sliders. Sliders were actually around in the 90s, and you could do exactly what you do with variable fonts with this GX technology. I believe it was slightly more sophisticated than multiple masters. The problem was it was not adopted by Quark or Adobe, which were the top desktop publishing Companies. Quark. Oh my gosh, I forgot yeah. that they existed. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And so they were actually big deals. I mean, I was in publishing yeah. a few years ago and there were still Quark files that people had. They were right. trying well, that, to There's no good excuse for that. <laughs> and it just wasn't supported by font editors either. Font designers weren't making this with this GX technology because the GX technology could only be used on Apple products. So we can clearly see that variable fonts is a thing that could have happened if there was communication between these big tech companies in the early 90s. But no one was sharing information. People were making exclusive to their products. And ultimately, it failed because they weren't willing to work together. There was no interest in the font designers that were designing this font to use specific technology that was isolated to a specific company. And these ideas of multiple masters have lived on since they were created in these variable font type situations because a lot of type designers since the 90s do use multiple masters to design fonts. They just aren't able to have the end user manipulate between the multiple masters. Right. That was my knowledge of multiple masters is that it wasn't consumers. It was the type designers who use that so they don't have to draw every weight and style. They draw the extremes, interpolate, and then export those yes. instances. Exactly. So the question is, why do we think variable fonts are going to work now? Several reasons. They're now backed by a larger coalition. You have the top tech companies also agreeing that they want to move this technology forward. Now there's the web. I mean, in the 90s, it just wasn't as crucial to every single person like living in the world. Now we have the web. You need smaller sizes of font files to have them accessible that was the league was born literally as browsers were starting to allow custom fonts on the web so before 2009 people were not using custom fonts on the web That's even crazy. that is a big jump mm-hmm 
Exactly. So a lot more people are using custom fonts. You need these smaller file size. It's desirable to people using the web and it's become more desirable for people that are designing fonts because this idea of designing a font using several masters means it's not that hard to start interpolating and implementing variable font technology. It definitely is a next step for a lot of these type designers, but it's an easy concept to grasp. And I think that's why we have been seeing a lot of variable fonts being released. We think about like the past year, a good amount of the fonts that are being released are variable. This new coalition, as you described, of a handful of big tech companies working together, they -hmm. have been pushing to move this forward, putting money behind it, paying Mm -hmm. type designers to put the extra effort into making it a variable font when they release it. Those Mm -hmm. kind of things are helping it become seen more and more by us normal everyday designers. Mm-hmm. We then try it, appreciate the fact that it's one file and we have mm-hmm. more control over it. And suddenly it is starting to take off to become not quite, but almost the norm. Yep. Yep, exactly. And so it's definitely something that has the idea of it has existed for a while. It's now coming to fruition. It's now coming to the mainstream. I'm sure the type designers working in Adobe and Apple from the 90s are like, wow, it's actually coming true because they thought it was going to become a more mainstream thing in the 90s and both projects were killed um, and both projects were parallel pathing, which I find really interesting. Yeah. And it's coming to a lot of open source fonts too. We have a handful of forks that we are pulling in that we're going to update soon for the official league versions of fonts that people have adapted to be variable, which is awesome. Open source is an awesome way to dig into this. If you're interested in how fonts are made, you can open it up in a type design program and look Mm -hmm. at how that works with an open source file. I'm excited that like, we're going to start having that in open source as well. Even Google fonts, very recently updated their their font hosting technology to support variable fonts. And so yeah. they have been pushing for open source variable fonts too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, this think, is, I think this is just about to become very normal. Yeah, and all the Creative Cloud, including InDesign now, has adapted to allow variable font sliders. And might I add, in the 90s, they... I think we're beta testing a version of Illustrator that had sliders for variable fonts when Adobe was making these multiple masters. And right, I think as they were ready to, you know, implement that Illustrator, or maybe they did for a very short period, the project was killed. Oof. So again, this is not, I find it so interesting that this existed before. They're like, they the just like commented out the code in Illustrator <laughs> and then left it for 10 years and then uncommented it. Oh my gosh. I love thinking <laughs> about that. Exactly. I'm sure that's not what happened, but that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So that's our nerd alert. That's our articles for this week. We hope that this yes. has offered you a slight distraction from all the things happening in the world right now, which we're still very much concerned about and very much fighting for, you know, justice for everyone that deserves it. I think it's worth mentioning too, that thanks to our sponsors this month, we were able to take the membership money and donate it to a handful of good causes that you had found to support what's going on right now. Yeah, exactly. It's worth mentioning that that's still a thing to be thinking about, a thing to be supporting 
your support for the league with both membership and if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, the newsletter, those things are things we're trying to use for good too. Yep, absolutely. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Olivia. That was a really fun nerd alert. I, I love this. Yeah, I learned something. I hope someone learned at least a couple of things from that. That would be a success. <laughs> so everybody stay positive. Be great. We love you. And we'll see you next week. See ya. See ya.